You've reached the Onkin Radio Podcast. Nick Onkin here, exploring the world from creativity, consciousness, and everything in between to help you alchemize your life to its fullest expression. What's up, my fellow Earthlings? Nick Onkin here, back with another episode of Onkin Radio. Today we got my man, Peter Crone, on the show. He is the mind architect. What does that even mean, you might ask? Well, you are the prisoner of your own mind. Your mind is everything. Mindset is everything. And Peter Crone helps people free themselves from their own mind, their own cage, their own prison. He works with high-level athletes, celebrities, all kinds of people, and coaches them through navigating their own their own world. And as you know, this past year has been layered with an extra level of fear and stress and so many things coming at us. I mean, life is already just crazy as it is. Life is already a, a survival state as it is. But this whole last year of, of this, this COVID stuff, has added an extra layer to that from like financial struggles to health struggles and just who knows what's coming. And on this episode, Peter and I chat about getting out of that survival space, getting out of that survival space into a thrive state because thriving is where we want to be. And if we can navigate our own mental thoughts and emotions we can navigate getting to a, a higher space of wholeness. And I'm going to be sharing a lot more of these types of guests this year because I realize as a creative and as an artist and as a entrepreneur myself that the mental game is the biggest game. It's the biggest game we're ever going to play. And if we can learn how to navigate that, we can learn how to become the Jedis of our own mind. We can actuate bigger results in our life. We can take ourselves to a higher level of creativity. We can live a more vibrant, soulful life. And that's really what it's all about. So without further ado, I bring you my man, Peter Crone. All right. What is up, everyone? We have Mr. Peter Crone, Mind Architect, with us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Good to be here with you. Glad to be here. I'm glad you're here with us, with me, in this virtual COVID world right now. <laughs> <laughs> it is a different planet right now, for shizzle. Yeah, this this episode, this this interview is in conjunction with Undo Ordinary, the magazine, and oddly enough, the uh, which happened before this was before the actual Corona world hit. This issue is on survival, mm-hmm. and I've been curating a group of people talking about you know, especially in the mental mental health arena, which yeah. is huge, especially for this time, but. But you are you work. This is what you do. You you uh-huh. rearchitect you rearchitect minds. Indeed. Um, yeah. So give me give me a little description of what your world is and how you work with people first before we jump into this. So 
the reason I came up with the title Mind Architect was I'd had previous monikers before, like spiritual teacher, happiness guru, and I always felt those titles were kind of contaminated with meaning. You know, if you're a spiritual teacher, you're potentially part of a cult walking around with robes and feathers and rubbing coconut oil over people, <laughs> which I'm not personally against. But <laughs> the mind architect sort of was this natural birth of necessity where really trying to capture what it is that I was doing, which is clearly in the, the, the location of the mind and the architecture really speaks to redesign and sort of tenant improvements, we could call it and more accurately helping people find the world of freedom, which is my main product on the other side of the constraints of their subconscious. So my assertion is that every human being, just by design, it's primal, it's universal. We have these sort of codes, these programs of inadequacy and security and scarcity, and that what's, that's what drives all of these behavioral adaptations and the suffering that we see in the world. And uh, I help people discover the world of total freedom and uh, love on the other side of those. Yeah, and it's interesting how I love that because I've been exploring a lot of that over the last few years myself. And it's interesting, you know, each you can go down so many, so many layers of of mm -hmm. these limiting beliefs, correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. It gets pretty deep. And they're, they're slippery too, you know, they're hard to see. So that's why I have a lot of compassion with my work because one of my quotes is say, people can't be held accountable for that which they're oblivious to. And so that eradicates the whole world of judgment that a lot of people have and um, brings in a lot more patience and compassion, both with ourselves, but also with others. So people are doing the best they can within the limits of their own awareness. And once you start to see what those limits are, then you access a whole lot more power and freedom for yourself. Yeah. How do you help people rewire? Because obviously a lot of this stuff is very subconscious and with subconsciously wired into your brain, yeah. a certain way of operating, that takes a lot it's it's harder to shift than just like the surface. Oh yeah, now I'm aware of it. I can shift it. What kind of methods do you use work with people? Predominantly time, <laughs> meaning <laughs> you know it's uh, got to. I say there's sort of two predominant first steps are awareness, right? You got to have awareness of whatever your deep seated patterns are that you've previously been oblivious to, and then two practice. Right, practice this new method of thinking, feeling, and behaving. This is how we learn as kids, right? Repetition. You think about your ABCs and your times table. Like, how did you get to know them? You had to constantly recite and repeat, or learning the piano and doing all of your scales. So there's a period, and that's why I sort of made a joke about time, but it really is that process of time where I can start to rehabituate some of my behaviors that are new to me. Because there is going to be the tendency to want to default back to those things that I'm comfortable with, even if what I'm comfortable with is actually generating a lot of discomfort, which it is for a lot of people. You know, just because it's familiar doesn't mean it's good for you. Yeah, I guess there's a high space of cognitive dissonance within mm -hmm. that, that happens. I've noticed that within myself. And this kind of, you know, I, you know, obviously that that takes us into a space of survival, which is a big part of what I want to talk to you about. And I think it's very relevant for where we're at now, because, yeah. you know, especially for me, when this stuff first happened, it was, you know, I guess we were going through a grieving process and like really figuring out, like I hit this space of panic myself. And yeah. you know, the idea of getting from fear and panic and survival to a space of creation. Yeah. And there's a whole process to that there's a lot of work that that mm -hmm. i've discovered or i that i've i've experienced that has had to go into that to get to that space yeah uh, 
what kind of things have you done to to do that for yourself? Well, for myself, I think I've been doing the work for so long, like I don't necessarily experience the concerns about survival. Survival is very primal, right? And we're actually wired, any organism actually is wired to survive. Like that's the sort of number one priority. So what happens with something like this coronavirus is it just heightens and accentuates that drive to survive because the perceived threat is that much greater. Right. So really, the brain, which is designed to predict and protect, is always looking out for any perceived danger. And the way I phrase it that way is because invariably it is just perceived. There's no actual danger. It's just perceived threat. I'm going to get in trouble with my spouse. I'm going to get in trouble with the boss. You know, I'm in trouble with my parents or whatever it is. The little kid in us is concerned about the fact that we're about to be, you know, disciplined in some way, or something that we have a value to us is at stake. You know, obviously, a lot of people right now legitimately have concerns about their livelihood, because they, they've lost their jobs. And equally, some people are losing loved ones. So there is that component that is actual. But for the most part, survival that I speak to is predominantly psychological, it's fictitious, it's made up based on a concern for a bad future that hasn't happened yet is the way that I phrase it. So then people are trying to avoid something that is truly illusory. It's made up in their own projections into a future that we truly don't know. And so that's where the freedom comes in is recognizing the truth we don't know and not giving into your imagination of worst case scenarios. So for me, I'm very comfortable not knowing what the hell is going to happen. You know, this is how I accessed my own freedom about 20 years ago as I realized that I had all of these questions. What about this? And what about that? And it was about this girl I was dating and she's going to come back and is she with someone else? You know, going on and on incessantly leaving me with these sleepless nights and this mild sense of anxiety. And I realized the answer to the all of this, the questions was the same, which is I don't know. I, that was the truth, right? I, I don't, I don't freaking know. And for the first time in my life, I was totally at peace with that. So likewise, I would say now, you know, outside of the practical challenges that people are dealing with, the psychological are fictitious, right? Meaning that we don't know where this is going to go. I would like to assert that it is for a greater future, meaning, you know, the scary, the loss, the breaking apart, all of those constructs, it's kind of like a form of death, right? It is the death of a paradigm that I feel for humans hasn't been that great. There's a lot of hostility in the world. There's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of manipulation and corruption. There's been a lot of lies. That's a system that I'm willing to see die, right? But it's also, ironically, when anything dies, it's an uncomfortable process, but I do believe this is to give rise to a better chapter where hopefully things like love and kindness and respect can prevail. So, but the, the crumbling part, that's still uncomfortable for anyone. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. What does survival of self mean to you? That's a good question. Again, like all of my stuff is based on perception. So it all depends on where you're looking from. I would say the survival of self, which is probably egoic based, which is predominantly how most people look at it. So survival of self is where the ego, its number one priority is to be right about its own view of life, its own perception, meaning this is where people defend adamantly their beliefs, whether it be a religion or a nationality or whatever it is, political bents that people have. That is survival of my own identity, which is I want to hold on to and fight for my view of life. But it's also, sadly, the cause of warfare and bloodshed and a lot of hostility and anger when you just are defending a view. Now, what I like to introduce to people as gently as I can <laughs> is that it's just a view. It's an opinion. It's not a truth. Where we fall prey 
to a lot of the violence and animosity in the world is when people think their view is the truth, right? Then that's a subtle distinction. It's not the truth, it's a view. And have it, you know, if you want to believe in this or believe in that, this religion, that political party, whatever it is, that's fine. But as soon as anyone holds on to it, like that is the way it is and we are right, you know, well, now you've got, whether it be on the micro level, a couple arguing over dinner versus, you know, the macro level where nations or religions are wanting to kill each other. So that's sadly the survival of self on the egoic level, which is where I think, honestly, that's the only form of survival because I could also speak to the survival of the real self, capital S, which is sort of call it our soul, our being, our spirit. Mm-hmm. But that's not really worried about survival. You know, that gets into a much more esoteric conversation where that's eternal. You know, this meat suit that we all have is going to come and go. You know, the death of the idea of ourselves is inevitable. But the essence of who we are to me is not concerned about its own existence because it knows it's fine. Like someone puts a knife in our body, it's not going to hit the essence of who we are. It's going to mess with our physiology and our biology and then our psychology to the degree to where we get upset about it. But it's like if I put a knife into the toaster and start, you know, jamming and messing it up, the toaster might be broken, but the electricity is fine, Mm -hmm. right? And so making that as an analogy, the essence of who we are is like electricity. It gives life to this form. And the form is, you know, it's going to come and go. Even like in the 10 minutes we've been chatting, we both have different forms because cells are dying and new cells are being born. It's always in flux, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, So I think if we're using the word survival, and survival of self, it is invariably, I'm not going to say always, but 99.9%, it is associated with the idea of ourselves, our ego, which is always fighting for its own existence because its predominant motive is to be right. And yeah. that's why people fight <laughs> over their view. I know I'm going to prove you that my view is better than your view. It's like, well, why don't we just have a different view? It's okay. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, the need to be right over the, are you, would you rather be right or happy? I think is. Yeah, most people would rather be right <laughs> and then develop disease in 5, 10, 15 years. Yeah. Exactly. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the survival of the soul that you were talking about. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it's a great question. I've never really talked about it because of the saying, like, I feel like survival of the soul becomes sort of a moot conversation, meaning that the soul, again, this starts to get a little poetic and esoteric, but I would assert that the soul has got nothing to survive because it's eternal. It's not like it dies, right? If I'm the driver of a car and we use a different metaphor, you know, I'm, I've in my lifetime, I think I've probably had eight, 10 cars. I don't know from, you know, when I first had one at six to 17 or whatever it was. So I survived all of them, right? So we could in that scenario say pizza is the soul and the cars are the body, you know, and they, they come and go, right? So I'm not concerned about my existence as it relates to a car. So I would say the soul is the same. It's not concerned for its own existence in this particular life form that i'm in it's like like electricity it's like the driver of a car this this shell is going to go through what it goes through and at some point it's going to you know see its demise and yeah. that's okay but the soul's like ah it's all right i'll go on to the next place <laughs> the next place the next dimension <laughs> the next i'll come back as a goldfish i don't know. <laughs> <laughs> i love it how is mental health the most important piece of survival well, I mean, I might sound biased because I'm the mind architect, but to me, it's pivotal because if you don't have a healthy perspective, and especially as it relates to the view of yourself, then you are going to be in a mild to severe constant state of fight or flight. What does that mean? 
that, as I said earlier, the brain designed to predict or protect means that we are constantly, in some regard, looking out for our own existence, right? Which means that in terms of our physiology, our nervous system is leaning way more towards the sympathetic nervous system, which is commonly known as fight, flight, or freeze, or you know, people hear fight or flight. And what that does is it creates a cascade of hormones into our body that are great for short-term survival, like literally stepping out of the road quickly because you know you see a car coming, or God forbid you are actually in a dangerous situation somewhere and you have to fight or run from some circumstance. That's great short-term, but the issue is that most people live in that side of their nervous system perpetually. And so this is where their sort of should, you know, their adrenals are shot. People get Hashimoto's or they're exhausted, they're fatigued, they need extra coffee, extra energy drinks, all of these things that are apparently sort of compensating for the fact that actually we're just depleting ourselves unbeknownst to ourselves constantly. So, so that to me is where mindset is absolutely the predominant place to look if you're wanting to have a vital life because you can have all the organic fucking celery juice you want in the morning you can you can have the best trainers you can have your peloton at home you can do all of this great stuff and wear amazing clothes and even do you know some of this biohacking that people do which is all great i love all of that stuff i'm totally into health optimization but if the software running the show aka your mindset is limited, constrained, or based in some inadequacy, insecurity, or scarcity, then at best, you're just prolonging the inevitable state of dis-ease. And you're also cutting into real vitality and longevity. Because physiologically, I want people to understand, if you're in a mild state of fight or flight, then digestion and the way that your body breaks down and metabolizes food is compromised because it's not a priority. The resources of your body especially like your blood are pushed to like muscles where you need to fight. It's not focused on having good digestion. So it sort of becomes a double whammy, right? Because if you're in sympathetic mode, then one, you're creating a hormonal imbalance in your body that is over time detrimental. And two, you're not using the resources of rejuvenation and nourishment because your digestion's not actually working properly. So this is why I feel people age uh, unnecessarily rapidly and they create the cascade of physiological issues and sicknesses because of mindset. So I don't know if that's convincing enough case there, but <laughs> I'd say mindset's pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. Um, you know, and it's interesting, have you been able to, or how would you describe creating the awareness around whether your body is in fight or flight or not, even like this, especially at a subtle level, yeah. because I noticed myself, you know, I've, I've like, dove into Joe Dispenza's um, work quite a mm-hmm. bit and since yeah. I have like I've been able to become somewhat aware of when my body when I feel it my body when I feel yeah. it here, when I feel it but I feel like you know even just after listening to you talk here that it can go even like deeper layers that you're not even aware of yeah that you can you know feel what how would you be able to find that I guess no that's a really uh, beautiful observation very astute of you because our like one of my quotes, I say, most people have simply become comfortable in their own discomfort, right? So what, yes. does that, what does that point to? It points to familiarity, right? So that what you think is normal to you is only by virtue of the fact that you've lived that way repetitively over time, but your normal is not actually what I would assert is natural, 
And again, it's a very subtle but important distinction. So because it feels the same, you it is very tricky. And this is why, again, we bring a lot of patience and compassion to ourselves and others because you don't know what you don't know. So it's not until maybe, let's say, just as a very everyday example, somebody goes away for a weekend with a friend or a lover and they put their feet up metaphorically. Of course, no one's you know doing that right now, but... Um, if someone were to take that proverbial vacation and, you know, unplug, they get the experience of what I would assert is something more natural, right, which is a state of relaxation, a state of peace. They have a little bit more patience with their lover, with their kids. They're not as reactive. So that's where we can start to actually recognize, oh, hang on a minute. There is a different state energetically, emotionally, and psychologically I get into that actually allows my physiology to let go of tension and stress. So I would I would appeal to people whether it may be a memory, you know, it might be something that they experienced a long time ago, but they are, I'm asserting, more than familiar with the feeling of that moment, even if it's just a moment of being at peace. And I would Im- sort of invite people to recognize that's actually the way you want to live. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, but don't become so resigned to the fact that you're normal of mild stress, mild frustration, mild malaise mild to severe exhaustion is the way to live your life and uh because that's 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 just a sad way to live so it's about awareness it's about recognizing through relativity meaning in experiences of your own life where have i had the most sense of relief and and this is why people talk about going to mother nature take a hike go and see a beautiful view you know because mother nature has a way of softening it has a different frequency to it it has a different resonance which then we start to because we're sentient beings we're vibrational beings we start to just harmonize with now if you're in a city surrounded by buzz surrounded by electricity surrounded by concrete surrounded by people who are highly stressed you're equally going to pick up that resonance right so i think it's just again it's people waking up becoming more aware becoming more responsible for their own state like uh how's my breathing pattern these are things to look at how am i sleep patterns um how are my digestive like patterns like if people are in a hurry and they're stressed they tend to get bloating they have digestive issues you know because they're not actually in a state to receive or nourish or nurture themselves so it's just about waking up and paying attention to what doesn't like really feel that great and not assuming that it's just the way it's supposed to be yeah absolutely and i can definitely attest to that especially being a creative you know as with i think a lot of creatives now everybody's work is getting canceled. I've had many jobs get canceled or mm-hmm. pushed or postponed or whatever. And, you know, the state of always, you know, it, it's, it's, it is like the state of survival of like, when's the next check coming in? When's the next job coming in? Yeah. And yeah, it's scary. It is, you know, and it's, where's the balance between like, okay, being aware of it. And then I find myself just like trying to work harder yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I feel guilty for not just for just like sitting down and relaxing. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Filling out. So it is a, definitely an interesting thing to kind of dig deeper on. For There's sure. definitely, you know, this time, like it really is a uh, a restructuring of many aspects of what it means to be who we are and to be human and and the planet that we live on, right? Which is scary. It's trying. It's challenging. It's difficult, but it's necessary as part of evolution. Anybody, if we were to look at it on the macro, which we are now, but then superimpose that onto the micro of somebody's individual life, 
everybody assuming you've gotten to the ripe old age of at least let's say 32 33 you know which is so young but even by that point you've gone through some pretty big transitions right you've gone through some tough times the heartbreaks the failures the job application that didn't you know work out or the job you had where you got fired from and so but we're still here like we made it right like you know it, <laughs> hello you you survived right so the fear that then gets created on top of that, again, I'm not denying that some of these things that people are going through right now are difficult, challenging, struggles. Um, but the concern, the fear, the emotional part doesn't have to be as detrimental, right? It is if we recognize this is part of any transition, this is part of any evolutionary step. It just seems to be on mass right now. It's more global than individual. I mean, I can think of so many times I went through these tough growing pains in my own life, you know, that at the time you're like, what the fuck? This is miserable. I don't want it this way. But then, you know, a few months later, maybe it might even take a year. You're like, oh, wow, that actually now has contributed to the human being I've become. And for that reason, I'm sort of grateful, even though at the time it kind of sucked and it was difficult. Absolutely. Yeah, shifting that, keep trying to keeping keeping that perspective, the zoomed out perspective. Yeah, big picture. Like you know, we're we're as cliche as it is. We're all in this together, and much of the evolutionary steps that are happening, I think, is the reminder that we are. There's no borders. The whole illusion of separation because of nationality or ethnicity or religion. You know, these these are all illusory barriers that keep us separated from one another. And perhaps part of this evolutionary step is to a greater sense of camaraderie and harmony and unity between all of us. That's what I hope. I mean, unfortunately, people's memories are short and they slip back into their old habits. But, uh, you know, this is this is a global growing pain. <laughs> Absolutely. So this question we kind of already like talked a little bit about. We could expand on it. But what is a survival mental construct? So, I mean, you know, we live in these mental constructs yeah. that we've created. Obviously, this is what you do. Uh, how would you describe that? So the one that I often point to, because everyone can relate to, is the idea that I'm not enough, right? So fill in the blank. I'm not good enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not pretty enough. You know, just generally the whole realm of somehow I'm not enough. I would say that is one of these survival constructs that is primal. It's already there. Like you might say, well, I feel like I'm not enough because you've got evidence that your dad picked on you, your high school teacher, you know, would always uh, the, the, the quintessential high school coach, you know, on the football team would always uh, berate you for this, that, or the other. Um, or, or the girl who wasn't picked to win in the pageant, you know, she's not pretty enough. We all have that recognition and we have the experience of sadness, lack of fulfillment, lack of value by living in that, right? So the way I help people transcend that is one you've got to be aware of it recognize it be responsible for it it's not your fault it's human it's primal as i said i assert that we all have it and then there's just these different triggers that turn it on but then we want to investigate the validity of it not the fact that it impacts you because it impacted me you know I, I became a perfectionist for years as an adaptation to that right because if i'm not enough well then if i become perfect hopefully that will compensate which is such an illusory attempt at trying to overcome something that I didn't realize I had made up. Hence, it's 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 a lie. You can't actually overcome a lie. <laughs> okay. So that's the thing that I help people see is to investigate these constructs. 
And that's actually the format of my book is to take people through all of these different constructs, which I assert there are 10 of them. And so this is one. And then we see within that programming of I'm not enough, it gives rise to all of these thoughts, feelings and behaviors. But once you go to the root and see, wait a minute, this is all because like somebody who can't find love in a relationship, for example, that could trace back to they think they're enough. So what? not enough. So what does that mean? When they're in relationships, they tend to be the person who's a people pleaser. They compromise themselves. They sacrifice themselves. They put up with, you know, hopefully not abuse, but they they put up with the absence of love and affection. And this is often a lot of the case for women, you know, where they just become tolerant of a situation, but they can only become tolerant if they don't recognize their own worth. So not enough could be the seed for all of that compromise in their life right so then we want to trace it back ask the question is it true that that you are actually not enough or is that just something you believe about yourself and of course the answer is it's not a truth it might have been there for 20 30 40 years so it makes it convincing but it's still not a truth and then what happens is when you see it's not a truth we discover okay well how would you feel and what would become available for you if that's not there anymore like you couldn't have that relationship to yourself of not being enough and of course, you can probably guess, everyone's like, holy shit, I, I feel so free. It's like, who cares what people think about me? You know, it's like, okay, I'm like, yeah, welcome to my world. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the, uh, that's, that's my job in a nutshell. I love it. Austin Powers. <laughs> nutshell, baby. Yeah, <laughs> yeah baby. Yeah. <laughs> it's no, all about it's, love, baby. Yeah. That's right, baby. I love <laughs> it. Yeah. It's funny because like the first couple of weeks, the first week of this Corona madness, I definitely felt a lot of those not good enough. Public, like, yeah. just so much stuff came to the surface, right? Like all this. Yeah. I mean, I think we we're all dealing with so much stuff, the emotional weight, the energetic collectiveness, the, the shift of a new paradigm, like all this stuff. I know that I felt that. A lot of that. Yeah, there's a lot of fear, right? Because outside of your own perception of yourself of not being enough, you know, there's a fear of people in their future not knowing when they're going to get another job or another source of income. You know, that can create a lot of legitimate fear. There's no judgment of that. But then that also speaks to the concern of your own survival. And that's a projection too, right? Because I don't know what's going to happen. And you might find out in a week, I mean, Germany's already starting to be, you know, back in the world. China's been back working for a while. Like, I think there are certain territories that now are letting people get back. And who's to say that, like, in a week, in two weeks, maybe even a month, it might be a bit of a stretch and really difficult for people to scrape money together and get food even. But who's to say that there isn't a better opportunity on the other side of it that you now actually find or new jobs get created because of whatever we have to deal with? that actually gives rise to either a more fulfilling job or a better paid job. You know, again, I'm the eternal optimist, but I just like to be, believe in the possibility of evolution versus like the concern for the collapse, right? So it's like the quintessential half full, half empty kind of mindset. So yeah, I, I get it. A lot of fears are yeah. coming to the surface and patience and compassion with one another. Absolutely. Um, yeah, absolutely. So from a mind architect's perspective, what does awareness mean and how does one create more of that for themselves? Awareness, I think, you know, without stating the obvious is really just that I become aware of something. And in this case, I become aware of something that I previously wasn't aware of, right? So it's bringing that which is unconscious to a level of consciousness, right? So what they might call or people regularly call blind spots. So that's the awareness that I speak to is bringing awareness to these deep-seated constructs and patterns that we all have 
but most people are oblivious to, and that's the nature of the subconscious. It sort of lies beneath that, which is conscious and available to us. And so once we start to see that, it's like the metaphor I use or the analogy is, you know, not that long ago, people really thought the world was flat. Right. And it was convincing, right? Because you look out there and you, you see this horizon and it's like, no, dude, look, look over there. You only need to look at the horizon. I'm telling you, this place is flat. Now, so that perspective gave rise to naturally a concern, right? So if the world is flat, what is the fear that everyone had? Fall off the edge. Fall off the edge, man. Don't like, so then what would happen is if you start pushing someone towards the edge, you would actually get in a fight, right? So you start to see that the fight is a byproduct of a fear. The fear is a byproduct of a perception, but the perception is an illusion, (laughs) right? Right? You know, so this is why I undo all of this. So from the point of architecture, awareness is to bring light to the fact that, no, 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 it looks flat, just like it looks like your parents don't love you (laughs) or that you're not enough in the workplace. But that's not the truth. In the case of the planet, we're on a sphere. You're actually stuck to this um, ball of mud by virtue of gravity. You ain't falling off. So then all of a sudden, there's no fear of falling off and there's no fighting if someone's trying to push you to the edge because that whole world just dissolves with the fact that the illusion started to become, or didn't start, it actually clearly became reconciled. So awareness is that. It's bringing awareness to, oh, what is the illusion that I'm looking through that's generating my fear and my fight against life. And how do we do it? Well, that's the work, right? That's you talk to friends, you work, you know, you work with counselors, you do therapy, you take a good look in the mirror, you you meditate, you you do Peter Crohn's Free Your Mind course, you do like workshops, you know, you talk to you listen to Instagram lives, you know, there's just or you read books. I mean, there's there's a myriad of different ways that we start to recognize the actual faculties of how our mind works and go, holy shit, I spent my whole life thinking that I was a failure. And I've got the evidence for it, but it's not actually a truth. And so awareness of the pattern, awareness of the deep programming such that we can break free of it. Absolutely. Love that. What does it mean to thrive versus survive? I think, you know, if we were to keep it simple, Thrive is associated with the essence of who we are, the soul, while survive is based with the form and the ego, right? So this is always the body is, you know, if there's a perceived threat, if someone comes at me, it's natural for me to either run or defend myself. That's always trying to survive. But thriving is to become more associated and identified with the essence of who we are, that my essence isn't Peter Crone and I'm a mind architect and I'm British. You know, these are all components of my humanity and there's nothing wrong with them but my essence as far as i'm concerned is freedom is love my value is inherent these things are always there that is when i live from that which i assert i do 99 percent of the time because this is what i've created that is a thriving lifestyle i'm not lacking anything i'm not missing anything i don't need anything now do i enjoy companionship do i enjoy belongings do i enjoy you know travel yeah of course but they aren't the source of my contentment, right? For long as we externalize where we think we're getting our love or our value or our security from, then we're dependent on circumstance. That is not a thriving mindset because let's say you feel that the love you experience is because of your partner. Then if your partner, whoever they or you know, he, she may be, goes, then you're saying, now I'm devastated. So you were dependent on that external source. Equally, you might say that your job is where I find security. And I'm not denying that having you know, some sort of revenue and income is beneficial to your security, but the job does not give you security. 
mm-hmm. right? It gives you a job. And equally, you know, to think that our value is based on the status of our, you know, title in the workplace or because we've got a fancy business card that says vice president or manager or whatever it is, or that we have, you know, a significant number of followers on our social media, that equally does not give us any value. It's just what it is. Our value is inherent. You don't look at a baby that is just born and go, ah, let's wait and see how many followers it gets. I don't know. You know, this baby might not be worth it. (laughs) It's like we know that baby's a fucking miracle and everybody does everything to take care of it and i would assert that's our true nature and people have forgotten to treat themselves with the same respect and reverence yeah that's thriving is recognize the value of life and who we are everybody yeah so how does one achieve that thrive state if they're not there you want all the answers today man jesus all all of them (laughs) (laughs) well by first of all distinguishing it hopefully listening to what i say and go holy shit that makes so much sense you know going you know, wow, there is another aspect of me that is beyond these beliefs of inadequacy that I've lived my life from. And that is how it's the, the how is the awareness, you know, people have often asked me for tips. And I'm like, you know, like a tip, like, why would I give a tip to somebody who just discovered the world's not flat? Like, they're just they're not, it's not flat. Like, you know, why do you need a tip to not fall off the edge of the fucking planet? I just told you it's not flat. Right. So likewise, like, well, how do I have a tip to like, you know, stay comfortable in my relation? I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? I just told you that there's not anything that's not lovable about you know so it's about realizing the illusion of the way that we berate ourselves and limit ourselves that is that is how we get into thriving mode is to basically see the lies it's all based on lies you know Mm -hmm. lies 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 it's what humans do we learn as kids right i mean look at I'm not pointing fingers, but look at all the clowns that we have in positions of authority right now from government to corporations. It's all lies. And it's kind of adorable, you know, because it's a little kid who's just trying to look good and doesn't want to be upset by, you know, having somebody be mad at them. And people want to have their own sort of sense of security. And it's it's just the trouble is at that level, it freaking impacts people's lives drastically. You know, it's like, so enough with the lies, but it's human. So stop lying. Notice where that you feel like inadequate. You've got some form of pretense about your own value, your own lovability, your own worth. And that's where we get into thriving and see, wow, I just, I've made up everything about myself. And what most people make up is usually not good. So, you know, tell yourself a better story. That's why I love working with actors. They do it for a living. <laughs> you know, just, you're a superhero. Well, why not? It's as real as the fact you think you're a failure. You know, it's, like, it's all made up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you, I mean, do you work with people that like play that character in, in a movie, but then like are the complete opposite in their personal life? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you look at like, I always use the one example. I didn't work with him, Tom Hanks, but like he played such an exquisite role of i forgot the character's name but michael or something he was dying of hiv aids you know in the movie philadelphia right and it's this whole lawsuit or with denzel washington and i think tom actually won the academy award because he did the role so well but we clearly know you know as, as far as far as i know he's not gay and he doesn't have hiv so you know he goes home and he clearly knows that he's a different human being than the one that he's portraying on the big screen so but we see the convincing manner by which great actors you know obviously not so great actors don't do it so well but great actors embody the characteristics of these people that they are asked to to play excuse me so we have the opportunity to do the same in our own lives it's just that we've done it for so long you know for 10 20 30 40 50 years once you get into the 30 40 50 60 year realm it becomes very convincing that you really are who you think you are no you just played that role for so long that you forgot 
that you were the essence of pure possibility beneath the idea of yourself before that got constructed. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I I can definitely definitely see that. Now, that's the biggest issue people have is that they really think they are a somebody already. And who they think themselves to be usually isn't that great. And so what do they do? They go spend their life and their money and their resources trying to improve themselves. But if you're trying to improve yourself, what you're actually saying is that there's a me there that needs improvement. So you're actually already reinforcing the problem. (laughs) (laughs) So so what's what's the proper perspective to have on personal, like developing yourself personally? To realize there's no you there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you're a walking conversation yeah <laughs> this, this is very true yeah yeah it gets a little deep right so no the the person you think yourself to be is precisely that it's who you think yourself to be now again i'm not saying that it doesn't have a lot of momentum and a lot of time that you've put into that and a lot of the qualities and assets we have as humans are also beautiful i'm not saying you throw the whole shit you know the bath out uh, the baby with the bathwater. like but recognizing that the attributes of yourself that you don't have as great assets, you know, where there is a feeling of inadequacy or insecurity, maybe, maybe you want to let go of those. And just by realizing that the foundation of your feelings is the way you speak about yourself. Now, it might not be consciously, but it's the deeper programming, as I said, of the subconscious, that I'm not enough. That whole realm of deep-seated conditioning that everybody's got. That's why it's so convincing and it's also so elusive and it's also so insidious, right? It's so hard to get rid of something that, one, you're not aware of, two, has been there for a few decades, and three, you know, you've kind of built a persona on top of. It's like there's a lot of housekeeping to do. There. <laughs> <laughs> most people are like fuck it. I'm just going to drink more. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. You definitely. It's yeah. Decades of programming will keep you in a space for a while. Yeah. No. I mean, this is why doing the work is hard, right? And that's why I tip my cap to anybody who's willing to take a good look at themselves. And I equally have a lot of love and compassion for people who don't, and they want to just. Suck it up with, you know, medication or weed or alcohol or whatever means of escape they want. That's a, like, I get it. It's hard. It's hard to keep looking at these parts of ourselves that are so entrenched and so ingrained when we're actually physiologically feeling tired and spent and not supported, you know? So that's why I think having a community that is committed to doing this kind of work that brings a lot of love and support. It's as simple as like having a workout buddy, right? Like you're more likely to go just because you have someone to support you and have a sense of accountability. But how many people have that same kind of system for their own psychological wellness, you know, for their own emotional fitness, who's holding you to account for the fact that, you know, you keep speaking negatively about yourself or that you keep saying, no, what's the point and la, da, da. You know, who who can you turn to who's going to say, no, wait a minute, that's not actually true. That's just you feeling sorry for yourself. And I get it, but that's not going to serve anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What what kind of the tools do you use yourself to, you know, shift your survival state just on a daily basis, just to shift your state, to take care of yourself, things like Mainly, that? Mainly uh, wrench and pliers. They're my favorite tools. I like that. I like that. You know, you got a big enough wrench for that that uh, that noggin. No, I mean, I always love the question about tools. I mean, I get it. We need tools, right? But I don't know if I even call them tools anymore. It's just a lifestyle for me, right? Like, which is you've got to take the fundamentals and really focus on those. What does that mean? You know, 
the most important thing that we are seeing equally on mass right now, or apparently on mass on TV, assuming those images are actually real, <laughs> in hospitals that are jam-packed, you know, is breathing, right? Like, you know, the respiratory system, we can go weeks without food, we can go out days without hydration, but, you know, you push to go a couple of minutes without air. So the fundamentals to me, you've got to take care of your breathing, meaning just be aware of it. Like, am I breathing fast and shallow? Am I breathing nice and slow and deep? So connect, because the breath to me is like the bridge between the mind and the body. When we tend to be in a state of anxiety or fear, our breathing tends to get short and shallow. So breath is important. Sleep is pivotal, right? Most people do not give enough priority to sleep, although it's getting a lot more attention these days with the different you know, fit devices that you can monitor it and stuff. Obviously, good quality food, proper hydration, and some kind of movement, you know, these, so these are sort of the main pillars of my tools of how I take care of myself, is that if I have all of those checked, obviously, it's nice to have some sense of community, it's a little harder now with what's going on, but meaning that we want to connect with people, you want to have some sense of camaraderie, whether it's just friends or lovers, or some kind of tribe that you're a part of, maybe your church you go to, or whatever it is. So I would say those are the pillars. Mm -hmm. But physiologically, I mean, health is wealth, right? We've heard it before, if we don't take care of our wellness in terms of our actual physiological state, then I don't care how much money you're worth or what sort of importance you have on the planet. It's it's not going to count for much. So they those are the things. It's amazing how when somebody has a good workout or they go to get a good night's sleep or they have a really good meal and they enjoy the food, they're grateful for the food, you know, or they hang out with a good friend that they their vibration rises. They feel better. So then guess what? When they go to focus on their to-do list or some project, they invariably bring a little bit more motivation and enthusiasm to it because they filled their own bucket first. So those are the tools to me is like nurture yourself, take care of yourself, fill up your own bucket, put on your oxygen mask first, you know, and then you'll be amazed at how much more you have to offer. Yeah, I'm definitely in that boat. I love I love a good night's sleep. Yeah. Yeah, I love it all. I love to have all of those aspects, you know, yeah. because we're biological, very complex systems that need all of these things to be sustained. I mean, it's it's kind of a full-time gig just taking care of this meat suit, you know? <laughs> it really is. It really but, is. But I mean, what are you going to do? Like complain about it and then you just feel like shit and, you know, you fall apart or you can just get on with it, you know? So I kind of got over the fact that like, oh my God, this is so tiring. It's like, yeah, okay, great. Welcome to being human. Try being a mother, you know? It's like <laughs> I tip my cap to mothers. I'm like, guys who complain about, like, especially who don't have kids, it's like, really? Like, you, you want to step in her shoes for just three hours? You'll be like, okay, give me back my life. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> so I, I, I got over, you know, feeling sorry for myself quite a long time ago. Yeah, absolutely. And education is a big part of survival. What kind of books, what books are you reading? What's on your, uh, what's on your intake? What's on my bedside table? I have read so many books. I'm not actually reading so much right now because I'm focused more on my own writing and my own book. But I have read everything from, you know, some of the contemporary quote unquote spiritual teachers like the Eckhart Tolle's of the world to most of my stuff that I was inspired by, honestly, is the Eastern philosophies of healing. Like the, I'm an Ayurvedic practitioner, so the yogis of the world, the true Advaita Vedanta teachers like Ramana Maharshi and Srinasagadatta, crazy names like that, Krishnamurti. You know, these are guys that I really sort of resonated with where I was like, oh, I can remember reading Krishnamurti and go, 
oh, finally, someone knows what the hell I'm seeing. And I can totally relate to it. I mean, these guys have all died, you know, but it's like in their writing, I could sort of feel this this resonance of like the way that I perceive the world beyond the, the form and the duality that we all get so easily bamboozled by. So that's some of the stuff that I love to read. I, I'm not a fiction reader. I, I think I've read one book, you know, I mean, I read some books at school because you had to, but since leaving college and uh, becoming an adult, I've everything I've read is to do with spirituality, metaphysics, understanding the mind, health and wellness, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to ask, how does, you know, we talk about the mind construct and architecting, how does that translate into more the metaphysical world and the spiritual world for you? And what does that look, What's your perspective, your perspective on that? I mean, I think they're all correlated, you know, mind-body connection that people talk about. I think it's a misnomer because it's not a connection, it's just one and the same thing, (laughs) you know. So I think same with spirit. They're just different degrees of density. You know, obviously the body is the most dense, um, the spirit perhaps being the lightest in that hierarchy. So the mind being the bridge between the two. And I think the mind is sort of this portal through which we get to express varying degrees of our own essence or spirituality. If the mind is very confined and it's small and it's in a place of constriction and fear, then somebody's ability to express joy and love and creativity in the world is going to be inhibited. When the mind starts to open and we start to become more trusting, we become more available, then the spirit and the essence of who we are becomes much more displayed. You know, And so that impacts our physiology too and obviously our relationship. If you're more open then invariably you're more loving, which means you're going to attract usually people who resonate at that same vibration. And so you're going to have much more fulfilling relationships. You're going to have jobs that are much more in keeping with your own personal purpose and passion versus it being a job, you know, where you're reluctant to go to. So I think it's a sliding scale between all levels of density. And the more that we can remove the constraints and the shackles of our mind, the more that we can find that connection between spirit and matter. Yeah, absolutely. I've got the gardeners here. Can you hear the leaf? <laughs> <laughs> I can yeah. shut the doors if need be. But. It's, it's, it's probably fine. Now you help people through all this yeah. stuff. What are the different ways that you work with people and help people? What's the different ways I help them? Or work with people, help with people. You have your course online, and I know. Yeah, I, yeah, do, you yeah. private, do you do private stuff as well? I do. Well, yeah. Or? Okay. Like the literal, literal way that I work with people. Yeah. So I work with clients in different forms. People do like I have something called an inception week, which is one week work together. People work with me on retainer programs. When I work with my athletes, they commit to a whole season, whether it be MLB or PGA or MBA or whatever it is. I got um, a couple of Olympic athletes, which is fun, who've already qualified for. Tokyo, which is going to be awesome, although of course now delayed. And then, yeah, I do things like this. I do workshops. I do retreat. I haven't done retreats for so long. I've done retreats, but they've been private, where I've been asked to come and speak for a day or two at something, which is fun. So, uh, and then I do a lot of corporate stuff, keynotes, or you know, consulting for executives and leadership and communication. Oh, so. got it. Sorry, you guys getting a little loud over there. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's almost done. Corporate retreats and stuff like that. Yeah. So across the gamut, you know, like individuals, athletes, corporations, and uh, doing more and more online stuff so it's more available to people. That's why we came up with the course so that more people could access it. And it's been incredible to see the feedback and the difference it's made for people. Yeah, absolutely. And if you describe the type of person that, you know, that you help online or just like anybody that can sign up for your course, what, what would they be looking for? 
happiness, freedom, peace of mind, <laughs> wellness, vitality, you know, anything that you're into as a human being. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's, it, <laughs> I was once interviewed by uh, Germany Vogue magazine, and the journalist at the end of our interview, she asked me the question, she said, so how would you describe what you're bringing to people or what you're, what you're offering is? I said, I'm bringing what the entire world doesn't necessarily know it's looking for. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. right so it's sort of like a little bit of a zen cohen like you know it's like people think they want more money people think they want a bigger house or a better job or a better body what i'm asserting is what people really want is freedom mm-hmm. they want to feel peace they want to feel stillness they want to feel joy they want to feel a sense of worth so these are essences of our being versus something physical outside of ourselves so that's what i'm bringing and helping so anybody out there that's why I called it free your mind, because to me, if you want to master life, you've got to master your mind. You've really got to. So unless you're free of the shackles that we're all born with, there's no fault, no one's to blame. But unless you're free of that, then you're always going to be somewhat inhibited to the degree to which you can access what's available in life. Yeah, absolutely. Love that. And you just, you said, you also said something before, you said words are the wardrobe of the soul. Yeah, one of my uh, little, I love quotes, so my book is based on all these different quotes that, you know, some, I've got a couple that I use in the copy that are from other people, like uh, Marcel Proust, I love his quote about the journey of true discovery lies not in finding new lands, but in looking through new eyes, and that's super powerful, but yeah, my quotes are, they're sort of, it's the way that insights come to me, so the way of the wardrobe, uh, words of the wardrobe for the soul is something where I recognize our soul is boundless, but then we use words and it becomes confining. Mm. Yeah, so it's important to choose the words and style the words that you, you would like. to Very carefully, yeah, because it starts to, and that's why I love language, you start to realize, wow, the way that I'm actually showing up, the way that I feel, think, and behave is all based on the language. It's no different than technology, right? It starts to become a little bit AI, but for ourselves, which is, Okay, if a computer's programmed in a certain way, like let's say, like you know, you open up like Chrome browser, right? You don't open up a Chrome browser and then start wondering why you can't find your photos. Well, because they're not, that's not kept in that piece of software, <laughs> right? Because right? it's programmed to do something else, to access the web, to be able to search things. So, likewise, if I'm programmed in the deep recesses of my subconscious to think that I'm not enough, then that is the way that my soul, boundless, limitless, is now being sculpted in a way that it limits what is available to me because I can't access anything outside of the view of myself as being not enough. And at times when I do, it tends to fall apart, right? Like, you know, if somebody's deep-seated sense of themselves is not enough, they may attract a great job, they may attract a great mate. But invariably, it's short-lived, right? And then they're back to, oh, I knew it was too good to be true, which is them just saying, I'm reinforcing my belief of inadequacy. (laughs) (laughs) Don't. Don't. Yeah, Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, you know, if you you take it in that sense too, it's like you get to design, you know, or curate the way that you're speaking or you speak to yourself. Yeah. As you would with... The way that you dress, the way that you choose to dress, the way amazing, you- yeah, perfect example, yeah. yeah. But the difference is, and this is where it gets slippery, is people do this in one form already called affirmations, right? Like, so people might use visualization in my athletes or affirmations where they look in the mirror and go, "I'm a winner," and "I love you," and I'm not saying these are bad, but you know, 
it's a terrible expression, but it's a little bit like whipped cream on shit. <laughs> you know, it's like one of my buddies I play golf with. <laughs> when I first heard that, I'd made this like, no, he made a huge putt. Like it was like, I don't know, something stupid, 40, 50 foot putt, you know, that you generally were not going to make. But it was for like a seven on a, you know, on a par four. So everyone's like, hey, great part. And he's like, yeah, whipped cream on shit because he got a seven anyway. It's like, <laughs> anyway, so affirmations, you know, I again, listen, it's great. I want people to do whatever works for them. It's not my position to tell them how to live their life. But if you haven't dealt with what is the deep-seated fear in the first place, then the affirmation is only on top of something that actually hasn't been cleaned out. Does that make sense? It's like yeah. you've got a closet that's full of crap and old stuff and maybe mold and broken shit and torn clothes, but you're painting the door really nicely. <laughs> <laughs> like, look at how pretty the door is. It's like, yeah, but look behind it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. In, in the photography world, we call that polishing a turd. Okay. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Lipstick on a pig, all of this stuff. Yeah. So, so anyway, to your point, you can design, and this is obviously what I do with my people I've worked with for a while. And we've just sort of done the housekeeping of their subconscious. Then we get to sort of reinvestigate. Okay. Well, now that you're quote unquote free, who would you design yourself to be? Who would you choose to be? What would you create? You know, And that's, that becomes more childlike. It's more fun. It's more based on pure imagination versus survival. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, well, Peter, where can people find you on the interwebs, connect with you, buy your course, all of the above? I'm pretty simple to find. I'm just uh, petercrone.com, so my name, and the course is on there, or you can go to petercrone.com forward slash course, and then you sign up and you'll be sent you know, information about it. And then uh, Instagram, official. Oh, and now actually, I just we also joined Facebook a few months ago. I was not a fan, but people that work with me like, dude, you got to be, I'm like, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so i don't know i think it's peter crone the mind architect on facebook so yeah those are the three main uh, channels i love it i love it well peter yeah. i acknowledge you for the difference that you're making in this world and just your infinite wisdom and what you're doing i've enjoyed following you and listening to what, what you're putting out there it's beautiful i appreciate that my friend thank you i'm glad that we uh, got connected through our beautiful mutual friend the shine <laughs> and she is a light shining and uh, thank you for having me on and I hope uh, those listening and watching got some value out of this and found a little bit more freedom for themselves especially in these trying times absolutely thank you alright brother much love to everyone Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode of Onkin Radio with Peter Crone, the Mind Architect. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And if you enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you could help us out by leaving a good review over on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts at, and share it with a friend. Share this link with a friend and you know what time it is. Oh, it is time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment. And we'll see you next time.